0: This is The Guardian. Today, the incredible story of Pamela Moses, a Black Lives Matter activist who was sentenced to six years in prison for a voting mistake. reporter Sam Levine has a very particular being. His focus? Voting rights across America and the fraught and cynical ways that some politicians have tried to restrict access to elections and deny some citizens their democratic right to vote.
1: Over the last 20 years or so in the U.S., there's really been a push from the right, from the Republican Party, to really beat the drum about voter fraud as justification to impose stricter rules around voting. They're sending millions of ballots all over the country. There's fraud. They found them in creeks. They found some with the name Trump, just happened to have the name Trump just the other day in a waste paper basket. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen.
0: Voter fraud falls into Sam's beat. It's a serious crime carrying big penalties, the kind that can make for juicy stories. The trouble is, there just isn't actually that much of it.
1: Study after study has shown that voter fraud is exceedingly rare in the United States. It's virtually non-existent.
0: But one day, Sam heard about a case...
1: I was out for a walk, as we all are doing during COVID, and scrolling through Twitter, and I saw a tweet from a conservative organization highlighting a case in Memphis that there had been a woman who was convicted for voter fraud, and they linked to a a local news article. And the woman in the story uh, was named Pamela Moses. A Black
2: Lives Matter activist asked for mercy in her sentencing trial centered around illegal voting. Pam Moses spent most of the day in court hoping to sway Judge Mark Ward in a hearing that went from calm to contentious.
1: The group that that had tweeted it was framing it as, here's a clear example of voter fraud. This is an example of why we need to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And it just struck me as interesting because I knew that the laws in Tennessee around when people with felony convictions can vote is extremely confusing. And so that just made me want to learn more. And it just made me wonder, is this sort of a case of fraud or is there something more to the story here?
0: What he found was a story that would make national headlines across America. One that exposes the deep racial disparities that still exist in the United States when it comes to both the criminal justice system and access to the ballot box. I mean, look how much
2: money they spent on this. Like, just think about it. We probably could have built a school with all the money that they spent prosecuting me over a piece of paper. From The Guardian,
0: I'm Nosheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, the woman sent to prison for voting. Sam Levine, you're the voting rights reporter for Guardian US. One case you've been following for months is the story of Pamela Moses, can you tell me who she is and what she like?
1: Pamela Moses is an activist in Memphis, Tennessee. She's affiliated with the Black Lives Matter chapter there, and she's a quite outspoken and well-known activist.
2: No way the past can remain. These are the sons of the time. We won't let it be the same. Racism must go. Hatred must
1: go. She's been uh, quoted over the years in protests over police brutality, uh, police shootings, police misconduct. She has been involved in numerous lawsuits against the district attorney, against county commissioners. Ms. Moses, we'll hear from you now. He
2: had a responsibility not only as an elected representative of the constituents, which he serves
1: in. She's someone who, you know, doesn't try and sugarcoat things. She clearly sees systemic problems and she doesn't hold back when she's talking about any of that.
2: If I say it behind your back, I say it to your face and I don't bite my tongue for people who are not doing what they're supposed to do. I will never do that. That's one thing about me. If I said it, I'm going to stand on it. And I don't care if you come after me because I'm ready for you. Ain't we, Victor? Say, we
1: ready for you.
0: To understand how she ends up in prison on charges of voter fraud, where does her story start?
1: Well, she has sort of a complex and winding story. And the story really starts back in 2015. 2015, she pleads guilty in a case that involves a dispute with a local judge in in court who said that Pamela Moses was harassing and stalking her. And what people I've talked to who were sort of paying attention to it at the time have really questioned whether what Pamela was doing amounted to harassment and stalking. She was pretty aggressively campaigning against this judge she would appear at campaign appearances where this judge was and kind of loudly shout you know don't vote for this judge whose name was Phyllis Gardner she would say don't don't vote for Phyllis Gardner she started a facebook group posting pictures and memes saying don't vote for Phyllis Gardner and this was all used as the basis to eventually bring charges She pleads guilty to a range of offenses that include stalking, perjury, uh, tampering with evidence. And this really kind of sets off this whole chain of events.
0: Um, you've been speaking to Pamela for several months and most recently you were able to record one of those interviews for us. What did she say to you about that 2015 case?
1: Pamela told me she really regrets pleading guilty in that case.
2: I was innocent, but I pled guilty. It was the worst mistake of my life and I had decided I was never going to plead guilty to something that I didn't
1: do. She really took the plea to avoid going... To jail, but if she could go back and do it again, she would not plead guilty.
0: So in the end, what was her punishment for those crimes?
1: She was sentenced to several years of probation. And even though she didn't go to prison for it, that decision to plead guilty still had implications for her voting rights. In Tennessee, like many other U.S. states, when you are convicted of a felony, you lose the right to vote while you're serving your sentence. And in Pamela Moses's case, the thing was no one ever told her that she was ineligible to vote. I reviewed the transcript of her plea deal, and no one mentioned, hey, you know, just so you know, because you're pleading guilty to a felony, are you aware that you're going to lose right to vote and the elections officials never remove her from the voter rolls so pamela moses continues to vote
0: so a conviction like that automatically means you're ineligible to vote how frequently does that happen and how many people does it potentially disenfranchise
1: nationally it disenfranchises about 5.2 million people in tennessee The numbers are quite staggering. There are an estimated 450,000 people in Tennessee who can't vote because of a felony conviction. And it is particularly harsh when it comes to Black people in Tennessee. More than one in five members of the Black voting age population in Tennessee cannot vote because of a felony conviction. And that is just staggering. Hard to even get your head around.
0: Well, it's staggering on several counts. One, because we know that the criminal justice system over-polices and disproportionately criminalizes and convicts black people, which is something Pamela Moses had been campaigning against. And secondly, on top of that, now she has a conviction. She loses her right to vote. And Pamela says she didn't know this was the case. And it was the state's fault that she wasn't taken off the electoral roll. So how do we go from there to her ending up on trial for voter fraud. In
1: 2019, she decides that she wants to run for mayor of Memphis. So she has to go to court, and she has to get a court to affirm that she is eligible to appear on the ballot. And as part of this court proceeding, Pamela asks the court for a declaration that she has completed her probation. In the end, the judge says to Pamela, Your sentence is not up. You're still on probation until 2022. You are not eligible to run for office. And as part of this investigation into Pamela's criminal history, the state has now become aware that Pamela Moses has been voting for the last several years and should not be on the voter rolls and needs to be removed. And all of a sudden, you know, there's an effort to begin the process to remove her from the voter rolls. And Pamela is confused by this. She says, hold on a second. I've been voting for several years now. This has never been raised as an issue. And all of a sudden, now my eligibility to vote is coming into question.
0: So Sam, as you say in your piece, Pamela believes the judge is wrong. And she thinks the people who would know best whether she's on probation or not are oh, the probation office, so she goes there and asks, "Am I on probation? Can I vote?" What does the probation officer then decide?
1: He spends about an hour researching whether or not she's eligible to vote, and in the end, he says, "Yes, Pamela Moses has completed her probation, and, and you know, and according to our records, she's eligible to vote." So she now has a document in her hand signed by the probation office and signed by the court clerk saying that she has met all of the requirements and is eligible to vote. She turns that in with a new voter registration application to the Elections Commission. And, you know, she thinks she's done with it. That day, the Elections Commission rejects the application. And two months later, the district attorney files a multi-count indictment against her. And they charge her with several counts of illegally voting. And they also charge her with knowingly submitting a, a falsified election document.
0: So she's gone to the probation office to clear up whether or not she's allowed to vote. They've wrongly told her she is. And then after she registers to vote, she finds out she's being taken to court and accused of voter fraud which is a really serious crime. What argument does the prosecution put forward against her?
1: The prosecution tells a very simple story. They suggest that it's as if she tricked the probation officer into doing this, that she knew she was on probation and decided to get this document filled out anyway and knew it was false.
0: case evolves and the prosecutor tells this story about Pamela tricking the probation officer. What does Pamela herself make of it?
1: Pamela thinks that this is a ridiculous argument.
2: Is he for real? (laughs) Like, um, wow, these people, I I need to go to magic school or something. I'm the new Houdini. Like, I've got that much power to trick somebody I never met, never seen in my life into doing something just by walking in the place, you
1: know. The probation's no, office's I job is to I, I don't really like tell people whether they're, or not they're on probation. That is the most fundamental aspect of their job is to be able to determine whether or not someone is on probation.
0: And does the judge buy that? What's the outcome of the trial?
1: The judge doesn't buy that at all. Pamela Moses is convicted and sentenced to six years and one day in prison. And Pamela Moses, in this hearing, refuses to concede that she knowingly did this. She continues to say, I didn't trick anyone. I was told to do this. This was the process I was told to go through.
2: I did not falsify anything. All I did was try to get my rights to vote back the way the people at the election commission told me and the way the clerk
1: did. You can tell that this really sets the judge off he says to her you tricked them into signing this document telling you you were off probation and you tricked the probation department into giving you a document saying that you were off probation you voted 6 times as a convicted felon
2: i i did not know that i had lost my rights to vote because nobody gave me notice of it
1: and her lawyer she she hired a special lawyer just for this sentencing hearing tries to make a point to the judge about who is responsible for telling Pamela Moses that she's on probation, and he begins telling the lawyer that he needs to quiet down, to stop talking, to sit down. Uh, let me let me screw the court for a second. Uh, you can. stop talking, sir. No, no, Your Honor. Your Honor. I think, I think the role wrong. Wrong of, of the judge. Sit down.
0: Sam, as you said, Pamela Moses was now facing what looked like an extremely punitive six years in prison. And it's at this point that you came to this case. In the aftermath of the last US election, you've written about all the different ways in which conservatives are making it more difficult to vote. Stricter ID requirements, aggressively removing people from the voter rolls, which by design seems to target people of color and marginalized groups. Now, In your first story about Pamela, you also wrote about a growing awareness of how black people are being punished far more harshly for election-related crimes. Where did Pamela's story fit into that?
1: Pamela's case fit very clearly into this growing awareness that we're seeing in the U.S. of racial disparities in how cases are handled when it comes to voting crimes. There have been several high-profile cases here where white defendants have committed arguably intentional fraud and received a slap on the wrist. In the 2020 election, there was a man named Bruce Bartman in Pennsylvania who requested absentee ballots for his mother and mother-in-law to vote, even though both women were dead. We are charging him today with two counts of perjury, and he is also charged with making an unlawful vote because he then went to the next step uh, and actually submitted an absentee ballot for his deceased mother, a ballot that was counted. And he was sentenced to probation. There was a man in Nevada named Donald Hartle who similarly voted on behalf of his dead wife. Yes, it is fraud and we should know who did this. And now we do. It was Hartle himself, Rosemary's husband. This week, he appeared in court where he pleaded guilty to the charge of voting more than once in the same election. Hartle was sentenced to probation and fined $2,000. And those cases just really stand out when you hold them in comparison to cases like uh, that of Crystal Mason, who is a black woman in Texas who voted a provisional ballot in 2016 that ultimately wasn't counted crystal mason still remembers the day she was arrested for voting in the last presidential election
2: my mom kept nagging go vote go vote go vote go vote and i was just like okay i did what she said i went to go vote
1: and she was sentenced to five years in prison because she was ineligible to vote there's also a man named hervis rogers a black man who attracted a lot of attention in 2020 because he waited seven hours in line to vote in Houston.
2: I want to get my vote in, divorce my opinion, and I wasn't going to let nothing stop. So I waited it out.
1: And he was subsequently arrested and indicted because he had a previous felony conviction and was still serving his sentence. Rogers is charged with two counts of knowingly voting illegally, second degree felonies with a possible sentence of 20 years in prison on each count. His bail was set at a staggering $100,000. When he voted, Rogers was a few months shy of the end of his parole for a burglary conviction in the 1990s. And he faces several years in prison, even though he says he had no idea he was ineligible to vote. Disparity has really struck a nerve with people here, that how come every time it seems you have a Black person who makes a mistake, they seem to be charged with very serious crimes, whereas white defendants seem to be getting off with a slap on the wrist.
0: Published your first piece on Pamela Moses, just explaining what had happened to her and the sentence she got. What kind of response did you get?
1: There was widespread outrage. See how crazy this is? The Department of Corrections
0: signed off on her voting application, so did the County Election Commission. But apparently, they screwed up, and technically, she wasn't eligible after all. But for submitting that certificate that they screwed up and trying to register to vote, Pamela Moses was arrested and charged and convicted and is now sentenced to six years in prison for illegally trying to
1: register to vote. Rachel Maddow, prominent MSNBC news anchor, did a segment on it. Six years in prison is her sentence. Seriously. Soon after that, a bunch of other outlets began to write about the case, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and her case really became sort of this nationally known case, as sort of a severe example of the way that Black people can be punished and targeted by the criminal justice system.
0: So after your first story was published and it made all these national headlines, you kept on pursuing it. What did you do next?
1: After we published the initial story, there was a question that just kept eating away at me. It lingered in my mind. And the question was, how exactly did Pamela Moses deceive this probation officer? Did she lie to him? Did she coerce him? Did she threaten him? What exactly did she do to trick him? And I just couldn't get that question out of my head. So I set out trying to answer that question. And as part of that, I sent a public records request to the Department of Corrections in Tennessee. And I was just curious, you know, had there been any investigation or discussion or explanation of exactly what happened? A few weeks later, Lo and behold, it was a Tuesday night, and a document shows up in my inbox. And it's just one document, a letter. I, I was sitting at my dining room table reading it, and it's quite extraordinary. And the document is the result of an investigation that the Department of Corrections did into how this mistake happened. So what did it say? The document says that Pamela Moses waited in the lobby while the probation officer was doing this. It said he took about an hour to research it on his own. It explains how he made the mistake. It says that as he was researching it, he came across something in her file that indicated she was still on probation, but he thought that it was actually a mistake. He thought someone had just forgotten To close out the file. And he made the determination that actually Pamela Moses was off probation and was all set and ready to vote. And this document has the assessment from the Department of Corrections essentially reprimanding this officer, saying he was negligent, that he didn't do his due diligence, and that had he done his due diligence, he could have discovered that Pamela Moses was not eligible to vote. And it's also notable what this document does not say. The document does not say that Pamela Moses tricked him. It does not say that Pamela Moses ever suggested that she was eligible to vote or fought with the probation officer or disputed anything. It pretty squarely places the blame on this probation officer. And so I read that and I immediately knew, you know, there's something significant here.
0: This document was a bombshell and I imagine like your adrenaline is quite pumped. First question that comes to mind is, had Pamela Moses's lawyers seen it?
1: Well, that was one of the first questions I had was, were her lawyers aware of this document? It hadn't, I hadn't ever seen the document before and I had been reviewing the case files for weeks at that point. So I sent it to her lawyers and I asked, you know, have you seen this before and what do you make of this? And they said, no, we've never seen this before. And they said it certainly undercuts the argument that Pamela tricked the probation officer.
0: And so you publish your piece in The Guardian, introducing this sensational new evidence. And by quite an amazing coincidence... Pamela already has a hearing in court scheduled for the very next day, which they had expected to be a procedural formality. But what actually happened?
1: Pamela Moses' lawyer um, goes to court and he puts together a brief. He includes in the brief an argument that Pamela Moses should get a new trial because the prosecutor did not turn over this document to her defence and it would have made a difference in the trial had she been aware that this document existed.
0: What did the judge make of it?
1: Pamela says that the judge's attitude almost completely changed by the time do, the hearing for a new trial I'm came around. That Judge
2: Ward's attitude and demeanor had did a 360 from the last time I had seen him. He, it's as if God had touched his heart and he saw me as a human being.
1: So... The judge, in a very surprising decision, rules that this document would have made a difference. It should have been turned over.
2: And then the judge decided that I should get a new trial, and I was overwhelmed with joy because that was my prayer, and my prayer was
1: answered. So after the judge orders a new trial, Pamela Moses is in the courtroom. She nearly breaks down. Thank you, Jesus you know, screaming about how happy she is. Oh, thank
2: you, Jesus. Thank you, God bless you. thank you, She'll be released.
1: She's immediately released from custody, her bond is reinstated, and she's freed.
0: That is incredible. I mean, based on your investigation and this crucial piece of evidence that showed that it was a probation officer rather than Pamela that had made this mistake, she was freed. How did you feel about it?
1: I was stunned. I mean, like I said, this was not a hearing that was supposed to go well for Pamela. This was not the expected result. It was this strange feeling where You know, I had showed the document to the DA who was downplaying the importance of it, but it just felt like there was something there. There was something so striking to see a government agency acknowledging their error that this woman was now facing such a severe punishment for. Something just didn't sit right with me seeing those two things. So to see the judge unexpectedly agreeing with that felt very surreal. And of course, as a journalist, you know it's the highest impact you can have is really having a direct impact on someone's life. But in the moment, I think I was mostly scrambling to try and write a story as quickly as possible that she had gotten a a new trial.
0: I'm assuming you've been in touch with Pamela quite a bit since. And I wonder if you could tell us, what does her life look like now?
1: She talked about, you know, just getting to do sort of normal things again with Her younger son, who's 13 years old, taking him to school in the morning, watching Netflix with him. That's sort of what she's been enjoying the most. But Pamela told me that actually, since she's been out of prison, she's had a lot of anxiety. Being with my son has been like a
2: great feeling because he's actually happier than I am because everything is just very overwhelming. And now I'm I'm anxious and I'm, I'm worried because you know these charges have not went away. I'm just free, but you know it's been stressful.
0: Well, as you've said, the judge has ordered a retrial, and the prospect of that is now hanging over Pamela's head. But is it clear that that trial will happen, and do we know what happens next?
1: The judge has ordered a retrial, and it's now up to the district attorney whether she would like to have a retrial and pursue the charges or drop the case altogether. Um, She hasn't said what she'll do either way, and we don't know what will happen yet.
0: Coming up, with the US midterm elections on the horizon, what does Pamela's story tell us about who can and can't vote in America?
2: Hello, Guardian columnist Jonathan Friedland here. I now have my own US politics podcast, which is helpfully called Politics Weekly America. So if you want to hear my interviews with politicians like Hillary Clinton or expert analysis from Guardian journalists and the latest news from Washington, D.C. and beyond, you should subscribe. To do that, just type Politics Weekly America to Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there
0: every Friday. Pamela's story is jaw-dropping, but there is an even bigger picture to contend with here. How does she explain what happened to her?
1: She explains it as a system that was out to get her, she sees it very clearly influenced by her race. She told me this wouldn't have happened if she wasn't black.
2: It's a broken system, no matter how you look at it. But when it comes to sentencing, I think that they look at what color you are, they don't look at what you did.
1: And she thinks it's also very clearly linked to her activism and how outspoken she's been.
2: I believe that if not only if I wasn't black, But if my name wasn't Pamela Moses, this probably would have never even been a case. I believe that I was targeted for my political beliefs because if you silence the the loudest person that's screaming, hey, Black people, go vote. Don't vote for her. Remove her from office. Then you you eliminate the opposition. You know, you eliminate the competition.
1: And she thinks that this is a system trying to exercise power over her that's trying to punish her for being so outspoken and that's trying to send a very chilling message to other people saying you know if you have any question about your eligibility don't vote.
2: I think it's a scare tactic what they did to me so it's like, well, if she went to jail for that, we don't need to do that. We ain't going to follow her because we're going to be in jail with six years, too. So I would say that it sends a a a confusing message to people who who want to vote because I know lots of people who are convicted felons that have called me and have said, I got my rights restored, too. You think they're going to try to prosecute me? I've been voting. And I'm just like, why should people be... Worried about if they're going to be prosecuted for doing their civic duty. We were taught that it was our responsibilities as an American. It was our responsibility to vote, but now you want to put people in jail for doing what you taught us to do.
0: Some President Biden pledged to protect voting rights, and he spent a lot of political capital trying to pass a voter rights bill that ultimately collapsed. Cecilia, good morning. It was a very
2: late night here on Capitol Hill, and it ended in a blistering defeat for President Biden just one year into office. Voting rights legislation failing once again in the Senate. Every Republican senator voting against it, calling it a power grab, a federal takeover of the election system. The measure would have made Election Day a federal holiday. It would have expanded mail-in voting, early voting, Every Democrat... This
0: was such a big part of Biden's offering at the last election. There's this real hope that he could make significant progress. And yet, with the midterm elections coming up, all those voter suppression issues you've been reporting on over the past few years are still very present. Where do you think Pamela's story fits into all of this?
1: There are a couple ways that Pamela's story fits into this. One is that ever since the 2020 election, There has been this persistent drumbeat from President Trump, from loyal supporters of him, that the 2020 election was tainted by fraud, that there were all of these widespread irregularities of illegal voting. And we know that's not true. There is no evidence to support that. Officials have said the 2020 election was the most secure ever There have been multiple investigations, recounts, audits, you name it, all have confirmed the results. And I think one thing Pamela's case highlights is the human consequences of that hunt for voter fraud. You know, I just keep thinking back to when I first came across her story, it was held up as sort of a clear example of what voter fraud looks like. And when you really started to dig into it, there were layers of bureaucracy. There was unknowing mistakes. There were, you know, this was not someone who intentionally tried to commit fraud. The second reason, I think, is because ever since the 2020 election, we've just seen a wave of efforts, largely in in Republican-controlled legislatures, to make it harder to vote, to impose new restrictions. Those Efforts seem to be thinly veiled efforts at non white Americans, at black Americans who exercised their right to vote in unprecedented levels in 2020. It almost seems like it's a backlash to non white Americans speaking out, getting more involved than ever. And I think there's a parallel to that. In Pamela's case, here you have an outspoken activist who has really challenged the system, who is you know, agitating against the status quo, who believes she's being punished for doing that, for speaking out, for not stepping in line. And that's quite striking to see.
0: Sam, what an incredible story. Thank you so much. No problem. That was Sam Levine. You can follow all of his reporting and our US voting rights series, the fight to vote at theguardian.com. And while you're there, we'd love to hear what you think of Guardian podcasts. To take part in a survey of our listeners, please go to www.guardiansurveys.com forward slash podcast. And that's it for today. The producer was Josh Kelly, with assistance from Kevin Houston in Memphis. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Mithly Rao. We'll be back tomorrow.